This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher. I know people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. Maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? Doing really well, thank you. Uh, Thomas got some email during the week. Patrick sent us an email. He said, love the show, great way to keep up to date. But I want to ask about your comment that Coles and Woolies margins are single digits. That might be true for Jumbo, but Coles posted a 26% margin earlier in the year. Looks like they're doing pretty well, or is there something in the article that's overstating things? He sent us a link to an article. Thomas, are Coles margins actually at 26%? That seems like they would be doing really well. They are crushing. Yeah, they are crushing. I think that's like at the whole of business level. And like the thing about the Coles and Woolies is they've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. They own stuff up and down the supply chain. There's a Woolworths has a a media business called Cartology that's worth $500 million, apparently. Really? Mm. Yeah, so they so do a what sort of What sort of programming are they putting out? <laughs> the the, the in-store music? <laughs> Got some real bangers on aisle, aisle four? Yeah. No, somehow, uh, somehow they're selling ad space to retailers. Yeah, okay. Using their data, but I don't, I don't really understand it. But it's worth $500 million, apparently. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So I think that's at, at the whole of business level. That was in the Guardian, that article that he's that Patrick was looking at. In the AFR, they were t- they talk about EBIT margins, earnings before interest and tax margins, and that seems to be you kind of idea that's your that's your core business, the profit profitability on your core business. And so when the AFR is talking about it, they talk about EBIT margins and saying like in the la- last results for Woolies, they jumped from 4.7% pre-COVID to 6% in 2023. So saying like profits are up, but we're not we're not heading towards 30%. Mm. You know, and, yeah, and it kind of thinks like if you think about, we were talking about Ethel's $50 spend in, in Woolies, they're not making, you know, $13 profit yeah, right. on that deal. Like it's got to be more more like 2 to $4, would be, you know, $3. Unless she's at, unless she's at the cigarette counter buying, buying diaries. Yeah. <laughs> There's some fat profits there. <laughs> there probably isn't the data to know like on a $50, Ethel's $50 spend, how much is actually profit. Yeah, I don't know. A retail, there might be a retail analyst out there who knows. But Or you and him can have an enthralling chat sometime. Uh, if you do want to send us an email, cve at equitymates.com. We do love hearing for you. So thank you, Patrick, for reaching out. Actually, speaking speaking of last week's show, we're talking about uh, the streaming economics. You were going to play Anna thirty seconds of noise like a lawnmower or something, and see if she <laughs> see if she noticed. Uh, yes. Did, did you do your homework? <laughs> uh, I did actually. I did. I snuck a lawnmower track in. Didn't go well, Thomas. There was some initial positive reaction, uh, but that was because Anna thought I was finally out mowing the lawn. Um, then she saw me still sitting on the couch and it just made it worse Uh, a massive show coming up as always can we solve insolvencies or are they unsolvable like rubik's cubes thomas active investing is hard 
turns out paying someone to invest for you is also hard. And first happy hour at the pub stopped being an hour. Now it's stopped being happy. We'll tell you why a bit later on. But first, Thomas, what's Tim Gurner's problem? And follow-up question, who's Tim Gurner? Yeah, this was an interesting one through the papers this week. So Tim Gurner is a billionaire property developer. Uh, I think he does a lot of high-rise stuff. Bit of a young gun in the industry, but uh, so he was he was talking at the AFR's property summit. They had a profit property summit, and he dropped some controversial things in there, saying that yeah, complaining about people through COVID decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore, and yeah, saying that unemployment has to jump forty to fifty percent. In my view, mm. we need to see pain in the economy. Mr. Gurner said, "We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around." Right. Tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. They have been paid a lot to do not too much in the last <laughs> few years, and we need to see that change. Yeah, I don't know. There's, can't say anything these days. And this upset <laughs> people, people why? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Snowflakes. What's wrong with people? You just... <laughs> Gone are the days where you could just say to someone, you're not doing a good job and you're, you're working far too little for the money you're being paid. And we think you're shit. Yeah. Now you I mean, say it and people get upset. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously workers were upset by this, particularly tradies. Um, you know, and it's pretty, it was dumb. Like he employs a lot of tradies mm. telling them that they're all slackers is, is not good. The clustering of that, you know, unemployment needs to go up. We need to see pain in the economy. Like, okay, pain, you're not, you, you know, you're not the one going to be feeling that pain as a billionaire. So to like to say the economy needs pain and we need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. So we need to put people back in their place was pretty like, ooh, but it, but it blew up. So it got like went off on Twitter, mm. um, AOC, Alessandra Ortazio-Cortez, uh, the you know key figure in the Democrats in, in America, she even retweeted it. So, got, yeah, got something like 30 million views or something like that. All right. Does he just need to work on his messaging though? Like... I feel like you could still get the same message across yeah. without kind of being such a dick about it. Like you, you, instead of saying we need to feel pain in the economy, you could just yeah. I don't know, bring some data in there. You did a forty to fifty percent, but just keep it keep it factual, like and not make it analogous to pain and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Like I think I think he would have been pulled aside by other property developers and said, "Hey, we're not supposed to say that bit out loud." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ixnay on the pain yay. Yeah, it's like at some level, like he's highlighting the the conflict of interest between capital and labor in a in a classic Marxian sense and saying that, yeah, we need more unemployment to put people back in their place. It's like, oh, that's a pretty mm. you know the RBA was, you know, they're saying like unemployment probably needs to rise to get inflation under control. People go, okay, to get uninflate inflation under control, that's a reasonable reason for, for unemployment to go up. But to put workers back in their place, that's not okay. Yeah, I think that's the bad. He really mm. missed the rationale point, didn't he? Like, and and didn't read the room at all on. It's not like everyone's having a good time at the moment. Mm. Do you know, like mm. it's the cost of living crisis. People are struggling for for money. Then to come out and say everyone's got it too good <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> when everyone's when it's pretty widely acknowledged that everyone's got it pretty ordinary um yeah you're not gonna get a lot of support but that's it before i guess we get too much into into tim bashing the one thing i probably should check is is he actually wrong like is is it just that he didn't go about it the right way 
or is is there some truth to what he's saying? I mean, is is he right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like late, the RBA came out in June. Michelle Bullock, the incoming governor, now governor, um, saying that unemployment would have to rise twenty percent. So it didn't go to the full forty, fifty percent for a balanced labor market. Mm. Um, you know, but that's in the context of inflation. And I think that's what you know. If his comments were like, we need to get inflation down, and that probably means, unfortunately, some people are going to have to lose their jobs probably wouldn't have gone down so well when it's like we need to put workers back in their box get them to pull their fingers out and do more work and we need to get unemployment as a way to discipline individual workers that's you know (laughs) it's a bit messed up but also like a reasonably widely held view that's why i think like it's not something like everyone condemned it liberal party labor party greens everyone's like well okay that's pretty out there now you can't can't go that far Mm. but then the minerals council chairman Andrew Micklemore, because, yeah, he's, he's not exactly wrong. Saying people are living a lifestyle that's not sustainable. Employees have got used to earning the same amount of money but not putting the same hours in. And, look, if you're going to produce less, well, I'm sorry, then you have to accept that you will ultimately get paid less. Yeah. He said we need a rise in unemployment to break the cycle. I don't know what cycle he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the work cycle. <laughs> We've got to somehow get everyone out of jobs. Stop teaching kids from a very young age. I remember when I was in primary school, there was a common conversation topic at the recess table was, what do you want to be when you get older? (laughs) (laughs) We've got to take that out of the primary school vernacular and remove it from the the dialogue that's happening in primary schools all around the country. Right, Thomas, you got some data, some sweet data on business mm. bankruptcies. Yeah, yeah, business insolvencies are up to a 15-year high, highest level since uh, 2008 global financial crisis. Right. Has that been a gradual thing? Like I feel like the GFC was like whack and then everyone, like things started falling over. Mm. Is this, has this been kind of creeping up? Yeah, or is it- yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. I think, I think part of the story is that it's, so it's jumped up Numbers are actually kind of amazing. So by June this year, the end of the financial year, half of the firms that started in 2019 were had closed. So like of the businesses that started in 2019, half of them are bankrupt or insolvent now. It's tough conditions to start a business. It was COVID-19, wasn't it? Mm. So, But we got it. It was COVID-19 because it was discovered in like November. Yeah, yeah. And so there were no impacts or anyone even thinking about COVID until 2020. 2020. That's right. That's right. I was going to say, it wouldn't be the smartest business decision. Like mm. first lockdown, you're like, I think now's the time. No, launch. I'll launch my boutique travel agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but between June, 2019 and June, 2023, 35% of all Aussie businesses closed permanently. Yeah. Right. It's big numbers. And then, and then this tilt small. So like, the small enterprises are much more likely. Their survival rate is 41%. I think for, for sole proprietors, survival rate of 41%. So only only 40 of them survive over three years. Right. Okay. But 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 that but those numbers are reasonably normal, I think. And and the jump up that we've seen, like it is is coming down to that the economy is slowing and, and things are getting tougher. Mm. But it's also so Gary Mortimer, who's a management lecturer at QUT. Said that there were ended up with a lot of zombie businesses through COVID that were supported by JobKeeper and other payments, right? Um, and now that that's all coming off, they're going like, oh, actually, yeah, we are bankrupt. We're going to have to close because <laughs> there was there's a particular definition, isn't there, for zombie companies? There was a, a big thing. I don't know. I'm going to say a year ago, um, 
or it, maybe there's an is there an index that tracks zombie companies or something along those lines? Zombies, yeah, I don't. I, you see, you see numbers every now and again. Mm. Yeah, Christopher Joy does at the AFR often often has some numbers on it, but I don't, I don't know. There's, there's not a there's not ABS isn't tracking it. So so what are, should we be worried that this is so high now? Well, I mean, I think I think so. It's picked up, and I think that's that's two things. One is that the economy is slowing, and but the second thing is that there's a bit of a lag that that bankruptcies actually dipped down through COVID because you had so much government support, mm. and so there's a bit of catch up for businesses that would have closed during COVID if there wasn't COVID, mm. and now are closing now. So there's a you know a bit of a, a bulge coming through the timeline. Is any of it? Is any of it? Uh, you might not have the answer to this, but is any of it related to? sort of the slowdown in cities and, you know, work from home and all that sort of stuff. Like there would be a lot of small businesses, I imagine, that were sort of operating in the city cafes and whatever mm. that are probably now just going, well, we're kind of waiting for everyone to come back. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now we're still, but now we've been waiting for like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. Numbers are still right down in the city, aren't they? And so... They are, that, yeah, that I've seen, yeah. So is that contributing or is that maybe offset by the pickup in small cafes and things that are in the suburbs now that I don't have any data on that I'm not sure yeah I mean I'm, I don't I don't think the CBDs in terms of small businesses I don't think that can be would account for that much of the the total stock mm. but I don't know that would be my guess like I wouldn't imagine it's huge it's definitely be contributing but Fair enough. I mean, we take. Well, I'm happy to take guesses and speculation here. Obviously, Thomas, yeah. don't get hung up on data. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Say yes. That's the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard yes from us. <laughs> if you're renegotiating your lease on your inner city cafe, tell them. Yeah, ninety percent of um, <laughs> cafes, inner city cafes, are going closed. Um, and does the RBA think about this, or are they just kind of they're too big picture for this? Oh no, no, they'll be they'll be watching this because this is this is this is sort of what you're expecting to see happen is that because right. remember the way we're trying to like as we we're saying before, the RBA thinks the unemployment needs to go up twenty percent odd. That tends to happen when businesses close. So you kind of the first domino to fall is businesses because once businesses get into trouble, then right. that's when they lay off workers because if they have a temporary downturn in revenue. Hiring is such a uh, palaver that they'll just tend to hang on to businesses, hang on to workers for as long as pra is practical because they don't want to rehire when things pick up again. So often, you know, big unemployment comes with when when businesses are closing. So that yeah, so they'll be watching this as is this potentially the first domino to fall? Right. Um, What's going to make Tim Gurner and his friends happy then? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, uh, let's take a break here. We'll grab a quick word from this week's sponsors and be back with more CVE right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. You can send us an email just like Patrick did earlier in the show. CVE at equitymates.com. 
or get us on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Thomas, more than half of local fund managers, it turns out, fail to beat the market. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. So we got some a report from S&P. They've got the SPIVA Research Unit. There's an acronym, but I, I didn't look it up. I don't know what it means. But their, their research unit, S&P, tracks the performance of active fund managers uh, relative to their indices for over the past 20 years. And they, quote, found most active managers underperform most of the time. Yeah, mm. that's disappointing. You're better off putting money into like an ETF or a, something like that, an index fund, than asking someone to... Yeah, that's yeah, that's the conclusion. So underperforming the indices. So like if you're investing in a, a fund, active fund manager who's in the ASX, in, in the local in local equities, um, their rel- relative be- benchmark is the ASX 200 or something like that. Yeah, right. And what they find is that they don't beat the market very often. Mm. For this six months to June this year, the second half of the financial year, more than half of equity fund managers in Australia failed to beat the market, Mm. which, you know, and you think, oh, maybe that gets better over time. It actually gets worse over time. So once you go out to 10, 15 years, then 80% are underperforming. What? Mm. Yeah. That's getting down to like Nathan Brown levels (laughs) of success. That's right. You reckon you'll pivot into active funds management next? <laughs> Could do. Why not? It's got a following. It's got an audience. <laughs> Same game multis plus my three most highest conviction stock picks for the week. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, there's a bit of variation in terms of markets and asset classes. So Australian fund managers investing in global equities, they're particularly bad. So only like five to ten percent beat the market over right. 10 to 15 years it's like one in one in 20 smaller mid caps are better so there's they have a bit more of an edge mm. but even then like it's 50 percent uh, on the year to date it's just under 80 percent are underperforming over the over the 10 just, years oh right yeah so yeah only just over 20 percent are at overperforming the market or beating the market on a, over a 10-year period in the small mid to small equities small cap mm. equities so yeah so it's, it's pretty it's pretty shoddy across the board so i mean this is the whole rationale for like what drove the passive investing and, and exchange traded funds was was the rec- mm. this recognition and this recognition you know this has been well known for a while that it's really hard to consistently beat the market well i think warren, warren buffett was a big fan of this wasn't he oh, he was mm. i remember he didn't he have a bet with a really high profile bet back in the 80s Kind of said, look, let's have a bet. Next ten years, I'll back the S and P five hundred, and you do your stock picks with some other investing guru, and we'll see who wins. And Buffett won because he was like, "See, yeah, right, just track the market." Mm. I mean, he's obviously done a bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's also picked some winners. Are you sure that's Warren Buffett? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even make forty six billion on BYD or yeah, something on the um, whatever oh, that yeah. Chinese car. He's, yeah, he's, car oh, he's crushed at some some deals by picking winners. Yeah, I'm not sure that's Buffett, but yeah, like we go back to value investing. I think I think he was he was talking to your your, your average amateur investor, right? Yeah, um, and kind of saying, look, you're best off kind of just tracking the market. And le- again, it comes down to that edge, right? Like mm. if you, unless you've got an edge, yeah, um, which Buffett through you know. 
57,000 analysts working for him mm. uh, arguably has an edge and access to all of the early markets and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, he's, he could argue he's got an edge, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, like, not only, yeah, you know, picking stocks is hard, but if you've got to pick an active manager to manage your money for you, mm. you've got, like, a one, one in ten one in 20 chance of picking a fund that's going to make you money. And then you've got to pay fees. Then you've got to pay fees, <laughs> outperformance fees. If they do actually beat the market, you've got to pay them for it. <laughs> well done. You know that thing I paid you to do? Yeah. Well, you, well, you did it. Good job. You're in the top 10% of people. Everyone else couldn't do it. But now, yeah, yeah, yeah. outperformance fees. Brilliant. Right, finally on the show today, Thomas, this is something uh, in my wheelhouse. This is, I like this story. Uh, UK pubs are trialling something a bit radical. What are they up to? Mm, yeah, so they're, they're doing surge pricing on, pump, on, on pints. So Stonegate, <laughs> which is uh, Britain's largest pub owner, they own 4,000 pubs, including the popular Slug and Letters chain. It's got to be the something and something. So, yeah. It's a British pub, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pig and Whistle. Pig and, pig and Whistle, Elephant and Wheelbarrow. Yeah, I wonder where that comes from. Probably two families getting together and their shields there. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's no, not. I just made that right. up. Right. We'll um, let's go with that. Yeah, so they, but they're going to introduce surge pricing for pints. So in they're trialling it in 800 of their 4,000 pubs. Mm. They call, they're not calling it surge pricing. They're calling it dynamic pricing. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. This can't be real. Sure, yeah. it has to be. It has to be fake. You can't have dynamic pricing happening in pubs. People are going to get absolutely outraged. They're going to. You go for for a pint, and then ten minutes later, it's gone up. Yeah. Like, I mean, they they did get a quote from. Tom Stainer, who's the chief executive of Campaign for Real Ale, which represents pub goers in Britain. Classic. <laughs> well, I've, well, I've got a union <laughs> representing, yeah, right. representing pub goers. But yeah, he's saying that you, this play, pubs are places we expect to walk in and know what you're going to pay for a pint, regardless of the time of day. Yeah. It's hard enough keeping track of petrol prices, let alone beer prices. Yeah. Like, and just like petrol, it's an essential item. So, you know, you just have to ignore the price and walk in and say, fill her up, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a price taker. Got no power there. Oh, what am I going to do? Got to buy my pint. Yeah. But you say that, like how many people actually know? Like True. when I buy mm. beer, like I'm just throwing my phone at the card reader. I've got no idea how much the individual beers cost. And if, if I came back 10 minutes later and they were a little bit extra, I'd have no idea. I wouldn't even notice. Yeah. And a bit like we were talking about streaming services last week, like the model hasn't changed in a long time. Mm. Like this, it's kind of right for disruption somehow. Mm. Like the, the pricing model for beer in pubs really hasn't changed since like we were selling horns of mead for <laughs> three gold nobles. Um, <laughs> like, so maybe there is room for uh. a change to the model. Do you think maybe we could even see like, a subscription service, maybe twenty dollars a month, oh. unlimited streaming <laughs> um, from the taps. Yeah, like it is possible now. You know, it's mm. it's easy to just ring it up in the tools and have like, you you know, yeah. you could have minute to minute pricing really if you wanted to, depending like as a function of how many people are in the pub at any given moment. But it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt people who go to the pub because if they go, oh, I'm gonna leave when the pub starts getting busy. Mm. because the beer is going to start getting more expensive, 
then you're probably going to get stung by the Uber surge pricing Ooh, who's now yeah. ferrying people <laughs> to the pub, which is the reason it's busy. Uh, so yeah. it's a double whammy mm. for, for pub goers. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw, I thought it was interesting that so this surge pricing sort of been like I think it sort of started with these rideshare companies, but the CEO of Lyft, David Risher, is saying that they're trying to get away from surge pricing because customers right. hate it with a fiery passion. Oh, yeah. But usually when people have had a few drinks, they don't get so upset about <laughs> things. <laughs> they tend to behave oh. in a much more calm and rational manner. That's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see what you've done there. That, that, that makes sense. It's very busy in here. Mm. I'll just leave quietly. I don't, it can't, I don't think it's going to work. Oh, I th- no, my, my, I, this is the way of the future. I reckon for sure they're going to bring this in. Really? Like I think, yeah, yeah. This is the thin end, end of the wedge. Like they're doing a 20, 20p increase on a pint, which average cost of 430. So it's pretty small, but I think, I right. think they're rolling it out to see how it goes and like, why not? Like, you know, I don't think anyone's going to stop them. And when it's busy, until it gets ridiculous, you know, there's no reason yeah. why, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, the beer has to be the same price as 10 in the morning, you know. <laughs> not, not, not advice to buy beer at 10 in the morning, by the way. Don't recommend yeah. it. No. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. Go long in the AM, go short in the PM. <laughs> If you hit it hard at 10 a.m., this is the CVE advice, hit it hard at 10 a.m. and then by the time surge pricing kicks in, you'll be sozzled. Well, it's going to impact going to the pub with your mates, though. That's my problem with it. So, like, because you'll be like, should we go to the pub? And then you'll be like, well, yeah, but I reckon Tony shouldn't come because any more than three of us <laughs> might might trigger some surge pricing in the pub. <laughs> Sorry, Tony, you'd have to stay home. Especially if Tony's an Uber driver, then you just call him later when you when you can beat beat surge pricing two ways. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon there'll be like a you know like there's a fuel watch app. Ah, oh, definitely. There'll be like a pub watch app. Like what? Which pubs are, are empty and not? Yeah, I reckon that that's that's we should we should get ready for the future. There's a there's a business idea. Or just get used to drinking forex or something that people don't like, which is very unlikely to ever be affected by heightened demand. <laughs> I don't think it's beer specific. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> should be. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, that is all from us. Uh, until next week, it is bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.